Welcome to the Substack Podcast, where we have conversations with writers who have earned their independence. Nathan Bashaw, who'd you interview this week? Well, I talked to Tim Urban, who is the author of Wait But Why, a massively popular blog. He's got like millions of readers, and he writes about technology and society and whether or not there are aliens and all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, and it was a fun conversation. Is he the guy that thinks that pregnancy should go away? That is a thing that we talked about in the interview. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so how long has, has Tim been sort of doing this thing independently and successfully? Yeah, he started Wait But Why in 2013, um, basically because he had started a business and it was kind of able to fund him just to focus on the writing. And pretty much instantly, he was having viral hits. Um, the types of posts changed over the years, but... He's been doing it for, you know, about five years now. And this, this most recent year has been kind of a, an interesting dark age for Wait But Why because he's been spending this whole time writing one giant post. And we'll talk about that a little bit in the interview, too. Um, but, yeah. And, and for those people who don't know what Wait But Why is, what's, what's the quick description? Basically, Tim Urban writes really long essays about interesting topics, mostly related to the future, also involving like a really casual conversational style and stick figure drawings. The stick figures are key. Very key. All right, well, uh, let's hear you talk to him. Let's roll the tape. Tim Urban, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me on. So I want to start by asking about kind of the history of Wait But Why, because it started with shorter posts like, you know, seven ways to be insufferable on Facebook and that kind of stuff. And then it evolved into these, like, long, deep... I feel like you can't even word, use the word essay. It's more like internet book-type <laughs> blog posts about, like, right. issues in, in science and technology. And I'm curious why that shift happened. Uh, it happened be like a combo of me being a perfectionist and readers seeming to be okay with and even like liking longer. So I, I started off thinking that, um, that, you know, listening mostly to, or at least you know, a good amount to conventional wisdom, which said anything, you know, over 1500 words or 2000 words on the internet, no one will read. And I didn't fully believe that. I said, you know, I think if something's really good and it's longer and someone's worked really hard on it, it, it can tap into a certain audience that will be happy that it's longer. I, I knew that because I remembered, I know that if there's a certain writer I really like or if there's a certain topic I really like, if I like it enough and I'm enjoying the article enough, then I suddenly wish it were longer, not shorter. So I thought, okay, right. I think I can get away with Because even the early ones are pretty long. But, um, but then I tried... Um, as as the site started to catch on, I got a little bolder and tried a couple, you know, a, an article or two that were um, significantly longer. I think my very first one, over three thousand words, was like the second part of my post on procrastination. Mm -hmm. But I, I the, you know, the first one a week earlier had had been liked enough that I said, you know, I think you can get away with like getting into a depth. And I was like, oh, this is three thousand words. This is ridiculous. But it did really well. And then I wrote an article on the Fermi paradox. Um, which is, you know, why we haven't seen aliens. And that was over 4,000 words for the first time. And I kind of, and I kind of thought, well, you know, this probably will only be liked by the, um, by the people who are super nerds about this stuff. And this is Interesting. Just, this you is didn't those... think that would be a popular one. 
actually no we we kind of thought it would be not it would be a post that really like wasn't for everyone it was one of those <laughs> posts it was supposed to like you know certain people will like but not um but but it won't be like one of the really viral posts and i, I was we were wrong like it actually was the, the topic was i i'm not the only person riveted by that topic as it turns out um but at the beginning we just didn't know that much about who the audience was and then um and so anyway i just started to get encouraged and realized that the posts that seemed to do the best that people liked the most were also not just long but the ones that i spent more time on mm. so at the beginning i was posting every you know three days twice a week and then that started to started to just like take the signs and say look i think um if the internet has enough high quantity sites like you know let's just dig into the low qual quantity high quality thing and uh and so i started um writing really long posts and um and uh publishing them uh you know less often and um that's just kind of been the trend now it's gotten a little out of control i would say that uh that the the, the 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 sweet spot is um somewhere less thorough than i'm writing right now what i'm writing right now is great if it's a book but um I don't know. I think it's uh, it's gotten a little. It's basically turned into books that are on the internet, which is not really a, the best format. So right. still still working that. So you're dialing it back a bit. Need to dial it a little bit, yeah. Gotcha. And then so there's there's the length factor, but then the other factor seems to be topics. Have you, maybe maybe I'm overestimating that, but I was looking through your archives, and <clears throat> it seems like there's a turn towards science and technology and that's like what you really became known for probably starting with the fermi paradox which probably led into the ai post which that got the attention of elon musk and then you have the whole post on like tesla and spacex and cryonic everything that came after that seems to be sort of like a distinct era for wait but why i'm curious topic wise why the shift um i mean i was always interested in that stuff and i think it started with even just that Fermi paradox post, which isn't tech, but it's kind of, um, uh, you know, it's um, it's not funny, and it's not like about it's not observational comedy, which is a lot of what I was doing before, and it's also not another category I do a lot of is like human psychology, procrastination, relationships, and you know why we care so much what other people think of us, and careers, and all that stuff. So I still do a lot of that, but that it was I, I started to dig into just yeah more stuff that had to do with science or tech um, or philosophy, you know, just like you know deep deeper questions and right. um, ex explainers and stuff like that. Um, that wasn't typical blog material, you know. Before to write about my you know why you know why why we're a certain way or uh, why um, you know awkward interactions are so awkward. That's that sounds more like typical blog stuff to me. So. I think it was just, I got encouraged because people seem to really like it. And I love that stuff. I mean, I, I, I'm super curious about all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I wrote, a, it started with um, a really big article on, I had already, you know, the articles now had, had crept their way up to the longest one had been, which is about, you know, our inner kind of consciousness and being on a higher level or lower level of human consciousness that we can oscillate between. That one was 8,000 words. And I had gone to um, Iraq and I wrote an article that was 8,000 words about that. And those also did really well. Like the Iraq article was viral. So yeah. I was kind of like, all right, long is okay. Like, totally long is okay. And that's when I took on AI because I uh, just found it. Um, I kept hearing about it more than I ever did before. And um, I think it was actually Elon Musk who tweeted it, uh, Nick Bostrom's book. And I said, okay, let me read this. Um, so I read that and then a 
couldn't believe what I was reading. And right. then I read a bunch of other stuff and then I wrote, you know, a long post there. And then that was like, you know, as as successful as any other post had been yeah. ever. So I was like, okay, uh, great. Like this is something that um that works. So then I, I you know, and then and then pretty soon after that Elon Musk reached out and then that started that whole thing. So I was like, okay, more long tech posts. Um, and so now that's something that happens sometimes. I'm currently working on a long post. It's nothing to do with tech. It's about like that, you know, society and, you know, politics and all of that. But, um, right. but yeah, it's, it's, I, I really, I really do like getting into all that. Yeah. It seems like a lot of the kind of underlying philosophy of your posts is, um, I, I would maybe call it progressive, <laughs> but not in the sense of the word that people typically use now, but more in the sense of like progress can and should happen and like we should use science and technology to make the world better and even if uh some forms of that feel a little weird like you should actually stop and consider it so like for example with cryonics like yeah what if you could actually live for like a thousand years and then just sort of choose when to die it's an idea that not a lot of people are talking about and um you're saying that should be a thing i also heard in an interview you were like pregnancy that should probably go it's kind of like a pain in the ass to be pregnant i mean obviously neither you nor i it should be for hippies only the right. hippies will always do it but it should be like this thing it's like it's like oh we actually do pregnancy in you know in in, in, in we do in human pregnancy and be like oh wow like you so like is that um you know when did you get into that you know that that's what it should be yeah exactly right or like you also called it like it could be an anti-vaxxer thing in the future i thought was interesting anti-vaxxer like... should also be di dying naturally without any kind of enhancements like and before you're 100 should also be for hippies it should be like no we believe in like natural life and be like oh okay and it's like a little like you know it's a little anti-vaxxer yeah to totally die. like it to die at 80 yeah but i'm curious like these things are I think there's a lot of people who, who would feel um, probably a, like, disgust instinct when they think about that kind of stuff. Like, it just feels so wrong and so outside your normal realm of experience to, like, live for forever or, like, not be pregnant the natural way or something like that. Like, wh how do you – why do you think people feel that way? And do you think it's, like, a healthy instinct to pay attention to or do you think it's just something to get over? I think um, it depends. I think it can go either way. I mean, look, when – there's all these great accounts of uh, when I don't remember what decade it was, but you know, first organ transplant started happening, and people said that's unnatural. It's right. Satan. It's it's like Frankenstein. It's horrible. Okay, now we all love organ transplants, and we think it's this fantastic technology. Um, I'm sure antibiotics when they first came out, there were all kinds of people saying this is this is going to be the end of things. You know, so I think probably more often than not when I hear that humans are think a certain new technology is bad and evil, I probably am going to, to toss that aside because, um, it's, uh, it's just been proven wrong and it doesn't make that much sense. Like, you know, people want things to be natural, but like, nothing is natural. You think the banana you eat is natural. Like that's not what right. bananas used to look like. Um, uh, you you know, medication, there's stuff in the water. I mean, nothing is natural. Um, the way people, you know, birth control. So I, I think the point is, I, I, we live in, look where I am, I'm inside. Like, inside is not natural. Yeah. Um, and, and even there, what, what is natural even outside? Like, um, the, the, the history of life is life shaping what was, what the atoms were doing into the things they want the atoms to do. So that's all we are doing. And uh, there's this kind of bias to whatever the atoms have been doing, whatever, whatever the current adjustments have been, that is natural and now anything new is bad it just doesn't make any sense so it it's like i think we should keep shaping the 
world to our needs. Um, but of course, that doesn't mean every new technology is automatically good. There's definitely going to be some that we should be wary of, or some that need regulation, some that are really dangerous. Um, and I think it's, it's so. I, I think in general, more technology of the right kind is definitely good. And I, just just by the fact that no one wants to go back to the 1400s right now or to the 1700s totally. when half the kids died before five and when we didn't understand the universe very well. And like, no one wants that. It's not better, even though we acknowledge that a lot of things about today are not good. So I think the answer isn't to stop doing technology. It's to, you know, right now we're doing all this technology, but at the expense of a bunch of things. Like there's a lot of species going extinct. Um, and there's a lot of depression in humans and stuff. So I think we need to get better at doing it in a thoughtful way, um, but I don't think we should stop doing it. The answer isn't to stop doing it. Uh, secondly, I don't think we can stop doing it. The human species, when it wants to make progress, when it's incentivized to, it does. There's no one human, it's this bit organism that's bigger than all of us. It's like one cell in your body trying to get you to stop doing some bad behavior. It's, it, it can't help that. So um, the, the thing we can try to do is drive at least this ship that is moving, whether we like it or not, drive it in a direction that is um, as, you know, as, 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 as the least damaging way possible. Right. Um, yeah. Do you think the ship that, you know, the ship being human kind of, the human superorganism is moving in a good direction now? Like, how do you feel about the state of humanity 2018? I think there's a lot of really good things happening. I think it's moving in a very, very quick direction. So it's like, I think we're wiser than we used to be. You know, if you always get wiser as, as time goes on, because you just have the benefit that we have the data of all the mistakes everyone else made. So of course we're wiser. Um, so we are wiser, but now things are moving faster, which kind of cancels that out. And they're moving so fast that it might cancel it out over, over the top, where now we're gonna make even bigger mistakes. So I think if things moved at the same pace, we would just know better than to do a lot of the things we're doing even just like the you know the internet starting is clearly like it was full of amateur errors um it, you know it still is kind of the wild west when it just comes to privacy and these big shaming platforms that have you know and the culture on the internet you know it has not really been um uh it just it just it is it, not it's not tapping into the wisdom that we've gained in our you know real life culture so I think there's a lot of things like the internet, I think that you know we, we, we've gained a lot of wisdom just from the last 20 years of the internet. And I think now um, we see a lot of the amateur mistakes and now it's you know, trying to work, work our way out of them. But meanwhile, 10 other things are starting right now. And you know, there's biotech. I mean, all the kinds of, we're gonna make, we're gonna make amateur errors. You know, the first software was always, you know, 1.0 was always buggy. So the internet, you know, 1.0 era was buggy. And um, just like the, you know, car 1.0 era, 1.0 era was buggy. It was they were cars were dangerous. They you know were you know even right now they, you know the, the 1.0 era emitted tons of um, carbon, and I think you know uh, that has taken a long time to to change over, but it will. Um, and so the, what, what if the biotech era 1.0 is buggy, and we start creating you know smarter humans, and some unintended terrible consequence happens? They they you know they're un, miserably unhappy people, or they become you know they creates a, intense social unrest right you know the ai 1.0 era um uh, is you know the brain machine interface 1.0 i mean like you, something like ai if um if if ai is if we create general artificial general intelligence and it's buggy we might not be able to change that because it might not let us so i think that uh, i guess my view is that i think we're pretty we've become pretty wise in a lot of areas 
but then we ch- we we become wise for a world that's no longer here. I mean, it's like we changed the world so quickly that uh, we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants. And um, and I don't know. It's hard to feel. I, I do somehow feel optimistic still, but it might just be me being a delusional person. I, I, it's hard to argue why we should feel really comfortable with uh, the future, even so if you, it's also really exciting. Yeah. Do you feel like less optimistic than you did when you first started thinking about this stuff? Uh, I've gone through so many phases. Like when I first started thinking about this stuff, I just didn't even realize how intense things were going to get. I didn't. I also had much less humility about. The, the truth of everything. So I just was a full atheist, just thought, you know, oh no, there's no, now I'm like, I'm definitely not religious in terms of the religious books on earth. I don't, those are still written by humans. They don't make, makes no sense that those would have more access to truth than I do. And they don't seem plausible, but like, could we be in a simulation? Could we have been created by, in a lab by another more advanced species? Uh, is there some kind of multiverse and we're some kind of like, uh, experiment in a bigger universe like sure i don't know like how, how the hell would i know otherwise so right. oh just opening that possibility was kind of exciting and exhilarating for like an eight because if you're an atheist you kind of kind of only can go up from there um in terms of your outlook there's not really it's a pretty grim outlook um and so sure like uncertainty was very welcomed for me in that regard then you get all this tech that's coming and you start to i start to open up to the possibility that wait a second like Death and taxes, well, like, death might actually change. It might right. actually become voluntary. That was not something I considered. I thought that was for, you know, only naive people ever would think that. Um, I didn't understand how intense AI was going to be. I didn't understand biotech. I really didn't know this stuff was coming. I'm not sure many people did five years ago when I started this. Like, it, it was, uh, it, it, it's it's really, this is a lot of the stuff has come on very quickly, and it's going to continue to move into the consciousness quickly. So I didn't know we were going to go to Mars five years ago. So there's just so much um, uh, mind-blowing stuff that I've, I've learned that I've gone through all these phases of like first I said, exhilaration and kind of hope, hope that like I never had as an atheist. Then, you know, seeing how fast things are moving and understanding the intensity of stuff, definitely some fear, anxiety about like how this is going to turn out. But again, as an atheist, I'm currently living in my own dystopian future. I'm already, I'm living in my own Black Mirror episode. It's like if, if, if people did only die voluntarily, there would be a great Black Mirror episode about a world where everyone just died and you had no no control over it and when it happened or how it happened and it happened too early for everyone. That's awful. We live in an awful situation, in my opinion. So, even though there's some fear, it's 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 um, I'm just like I'll take this fear over the very hopeless fear. I'll take the, the fear that includes also also this could be good over the fear that doesn't include that. Uh, so yeah bunch of phases and every someone's just depending on what i'm reading lately it swings me from hope to fear to excitement to anxiety yeah. right it sounds stressful <laughs> it should be for everyone at this point i mean it's the, the future is pretty stressful i don't know how else to call it like it's exciting it's incredibly exciting but it's very stressful yeah i think most people's inclination is that it's not going to be like that different like in our lifetime you know, the most significant thing that's changed is computers and smartphones and the internet. And there's all this new stuff kind of coming up, but maybe there's some equivalent like, oh, people used to have like paper maps and they don't anymore. Or you used to have to like go to a phone booth and now you don't anymore. I think it's easy um, to kind of paint that sort of a picture. Maybe there'll be some stuff sort of like that in the future, but like, it's not going to be that wild. Like, what would you say to to someone who's a little bit more skeptical of like the future changing so radically? Um, I would, I would remind them of two things. 
one, they are wired. You know, we are wired by evolution and evolution doesn't move very quickly. So we're wired for 50,000 BC or earlier. And, and, you know, you can't change your brain wiring that much in that time. Ever since we got to complex language and all that, I just don't think things have changed that much in our heads. So our software can change. We can think differently. We can learn different things. But your hardware is still wired a certain way. And what was it wired? What, what's the world? Think about the world that it was wired for. It was wired for a world that barely changed. So, you know, the, the time spans are insane. They'd say, oh, they migrated from this region to this region over these 10,000 years. That's a that's a hundred centuries. A hundred. Think along. Think about you know that's that means that Jesus was eighty percent of the way through that migration to us. Um, so any one generation is almost identical to the one before it. I mean, probably ten generations you see almost no change. Uh, you need to see a hundred generations to start seeing a little bit of change. A thousand generations, okay, now you can start to see some change. So no one lives a thousand generations or a hundred generations or ten. So. And, and, and so the, even your great, 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 great grandparents, where you might be getting some of your passed down wisdom from, they live the same life. So conventional wisdom was wise. When, you, when, they, when people knew a certain thing, they had learned, actually. They had become very wise about their environment. And anyone who's speaking against conventional wisdom was wrong, usually. Any, any you know, one who came, passed through your village and said, these are the end of times, they always were proven to be wrong. Um, or everything's about to change. No, it didn't change. Oh, there's a comet in the sky. This is a sign. Everything's about to. No, but it didn't change. Right. Almost nothing ever changed. So we're wired very intelligently for back then. Um, so when we, so so our personal life experience, we're wired to believe that's just how things really are. And anyone who says things are going to be really different is wrong. This is how things. Are. There'll be some changes, like the ones I saw, but nothing crazier. The second thing I'd remind people of is exponential growth. You know, we, we're bad at perceiving compound growth um, and understanding the, that that things that aren't linear. Because again, we're not. You know, there wasn't such a thing as right. compound growth. The technology we have today enables us to create more technology tomorrow, which enables us to create exactly. more technology. And so the the inventions we have are a product of the previous generation of inventions. So it keeps getting better and better and better, faster and faster, faster. Right? Is that right? I mean, Ray Kurzweil calls it the law of accelerating returns, right? As opposed to diminishing returns. Um, you know, a more advanced species makes progress faster than a less advanced species. So that's going to create this intense curve. And so if you think about how, you know, you think about, oh, you know, you, you described, it'll be, you know, we went from not having computers and phones to having them. First of all, that's a pretty intense change itself, probably more intense than you're really remembering and thinking about. But secondly, don't think about 30 years ago to today. Think about 300 years ago to today. That's probably closer to what you're going to see in your lifetime, maybe more. Maybe even more than that. So George Washington, imagine bringing him here. How bl mind blown he would be. He lived in a time when the power was currently always out. Um, there was no electricity. There was, there, was, there was no communication beyond talking and writing letters. There was no transportation you know, beyond horses and walking and sailboats. Um, and you bring him here. I mean, he would just be so, it's just, it's just hard to even fathom what he would go through. So now imagine that you're going to go through that in your lifetime. Maybe you're going to go through 10x that because when AI starts, it might start creating revolutions every year. This is very, very intense. So I think that um, that you have to override your brain's instinct here because it's probably wrong. If you just look at the facts, you realize that the snake oil sales and you say everything's going to be different. They're actually right in this case. Yeah. So what I want to shift a little bit to focusing 
more on um, media because you're in some ways a part of the media. You write stuff for a living. That's like basically what you do. You put ideas out there, um, but it's really different from traditional journalism. Uh, and I think it's sort of a new model for um, for kind of making a career out of, out of thinking and writing. And I'm curious, like what, what did most people not understand about this new model of publishing where you're not going through the traditional system and you're just putting ideas on a WordPress site, basically. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, I think there's a key moment for any, any kind of craft or industry, which is when there's a good way to, uh, be supported directly by the people consuming it. Uh, that's a huge moment because suddenly all of these big middlemen who you always had to go through, um, now you have the option not to, which changes everything. So you can see it obviously happened with music. Um, it used to be, you had to get your record deal. You needed the radio. Well, you don't, you don't need that anymore. There's all the kinds of, all kinds of, you know, uh, musicians that get huge on YouTube, um, or putting their thing and then putting their things directly onto iTunes, um, or Spotify or whatever. Um, and then you've got, um, uh, uh, what was I just thinking about? What other industries? Um, well, books is one that's been like that for a while because, you know, you can self-publish now through these self-publishing platforms and you, you know, it's still helpful to have a big publisher, you know, as a, uh, middleman, uh, in some cases, just like it's still helpful to have be on the radio, but it's not necessary anymore. And, um, you know, you can now create, um, you can, you know, a, 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 you can create a TV show on YouTube or, uh, a, you know, maybe get an audience somewhere and then sell something directly to Netflix. Um, you have all these examples, you know, you, you know, using the internet of, of people who have, um, who have, uh, kind of bypassed the traditional old school outlets. So for a while you could maybe do a book like that. Um, but blogging was harder because you could do ads so you could kind of do it but um it wasn't really great i mean ads is kind of like you invite all these people you really care about you know who really like your stuff you connect with them they invite them to see your stuff and you're someone you're inviting them somewhere then you like make a sneaky deal with these other guys who come in and like you know sell really hard sell annoying sell stuff to your audience in the room when you're trying to like also hang out with them. It's not really right. this great thing. It's like, um, and then they give you like a cut on the way out of what they made. Like, let's skip that. Let's do something better. So in this case, Patreon has been a big deal for me. And I think for a lot of um, YouTubers and podcasters and other writers um, in that it's this monthly recurring, monthly recurring donations is important because it's reliable. It's just, you know, uh, it, 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 you, you can predict what's going to happen, which means you can hire someone now which means you can actually get an office if you need to. And you can actually, um, you can start taking on recurring expenses because you're making recurring revenue. So uh, that changes everything. Suddenly it's like, this can be a career now. This can be a living. And then from there, um, there's also all kinds of ways then to um, monetize if you want more than that. Uh, if you, you know, you, you know, so. Yeah. Do you think the patron model has changed your incentives of like how you should relate with your audience. Like, do you think you would write differently if you had an ad model? I don't think so for me because so much of the way, the reason I do things the way I do is, um, 
is just my own obsessive personality, like needing to do it that way. But um, it does, it definitely does put a pressure and a massive amount of guilt on me if I take too long to put something out, which I'm doing right now. So I've been living with a lot of guilt for that. Um, and that might, I can't tell whether that in the end makes me do things quicker or it actually is more paralyzing because you feel such an obligation at this point, right. given the total revenue that's come in during this project or during any given project, you feel such an obligation to make it worth that money that maybe your perfectionism kicks into gear, which makes you go even slower. I don't really know. I don't know. I, it, it, I don't know whether it's a healthy thing or not at this moment, but um, I think um, it it definitely makes you feel um, not okay about not working, which is probably a good thing for most people. Um, I'm such an oddball that who knows, but it's such a, I think for most people, um, uh, that's good. I mean, there's a reason that people do good work when they have bosses uh, and when they have uh, business partners. And when you're accountable, that, you know, that cuts through a lot of your own shittiness, um, right. which is, you know, your tendency to, you know, to whatever, procrastinate or whatever. So I think, um, I think that it's uh, probably a healthy and nice model for most people. And it also brings you closer to your readers. I mean, they're supporting you. Uh, you can kind of reach out and you can almost create like it almost like there are like a, there are like an advisory board. We sometimes will write. We have an email list just with patrons that will write to, um, you know, with almost asking advice, getting getting, uh, uh, you know, getting feedback through email or just keeping them up to date. It feels like there's this close inner inner circle now. Right. Um, that that is kind of it feels like this this great support network. So, yeah. Have there been any times where that's been like particularly useful? Um. Yeah, definitely. Um, like just in general, when patrons reach out, they really usually, cause these people really care about the site. They really know me. They really have been around for a while, a lot of them. And, um, so their, their, their feedback means a lot. And so, uh, I, you know, a lot of times, a lot of feedback comes from people who don't know the site very well and are just, they're just angry people or they're, <laughs> or, 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 or they, they, they're, um, they don't hold you to that highest standard because they just think you're some blogger. Whatever it is, um, it doesn't mean that much. But when it's someone who really knows the site and cares, it means a ton because I feel like they get it and they're coming from a place of compassion but also high expectations, which is exactly what good feedback should come from. So um, I think uh, – no, I th for us, it's the community that, that the patrons have built has been fantastic. And then, of course, the support allows us to have um, a full-time employee, which takes all kinds of stuff off my plate and allows me to just focus in. So it's been incredibly valuable. Um, I think when I think the, 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 it's been a hard model for me in one sense in that my expectations can't be, I hate not I hate having people paying money with and then certain expectations and then you change what you're doing because that's what I as I'm writing this, this post I'm writing now that's been over a year it's taken even like almost two years at this point if you take all the different times I've been working on it yeah that's fine it's gonna be a it's going to be a piece of work that I think warrants that time, but that's not what people sign up for. And, and when I started this particular post, I thought it was going to be a normal length post. It just became something different. And that flexibility is great to have, but it's, um, but you can feel guilty about it. If people are kind of like, Oh, well, what's going on? Did you just stop? And you know, so you have to, once things come out, then you're like, okay, right. You see why, but there's a, there's a, the, the my particular model, I think, I think, um, you know, need some. I need some work on my end of setting expectations more clearly that there shouldn't be that many clear expectations and all of that. But I think for almost everyone else, for normal people, I think it's probably um, really just great all around. What do you think someone who's trying to build up 
the same kind of model you have, maybe like in a different topic or different style, but they're trying to basically make the, the patron or the subscription model work for their writing. Like what would you focus on if you were in the early phases of that project? Um, yeah, I would say, uh, like right now, um, 1%, less than 1% of wait, but why regular readers are patrons. Um, and so I don't know if that percentage is really going to be much better than that. I think that, you know, and, and the people who read the site really like it. So these are like, they're really into it and still 1%. Um, and it, so we have enough volume that it's that, that, that that's totally enough support, which is great. But I would say, um, there needs to be a combo of enough volume, given that it's going to be maybe 5% at the, you know, if you have a, if you have the kind of thing where people who read it are like, or, or listen to it or whatever are like in love with it and they're just they'd be crushed if it disappeared then maybe you get to five percent maybe somehow even ten percent um you but either way you're going to need a decent amount of volume for that small percentage monthly to add up to supporting a whole human life and maybe multiple if you want to have a, a team um a combo of that and it has to be something where like i said people are sad if it disappeared if you're just writing another i don't know another newsletter that has not much personality in it and it's just kind of a summary of the day's news though that's great but there's a lot there's another ways to get those so i don't know how many people are going to de dedicate a lot of money to that given that if it disappeared they would just sign up for a different one um if you could put your own personality into the newsletter and people start to know you and then they start to really want you to do the newsletter not someone else right. and that's different now there's, you know, so I think it's, it's a combo of having something that feels really special to the people who like, and they really like, they don't just like it, they love it. They love it enough to evangelize it to their friends. That's when you're going to have donors, and then you need enough volume that that percentage adds up to enough. So those are two things. The way I think you get to both of those things, in my opinion, um, I, I think the hard way is trying to just go mega viral and getting, you know, having, you know, just kind of catch on as this kind of giant bad trend thing and then you know because that's just i mean great but there's that you need some luck to do that and i don't know how long it lasts yeah i think the better way is just just go for quality go for something that is just when people i think if something is the internet has all kinds of clogged with content but most of it's a b level or a c level or worse if you can really do an a level for whatever area you're trying to do the people who like that area are going to find it it's not, I think it's this myth that there's, that, oh, they'll, don't, there's too much stuff out there. There's not much great stuff out there. So totally. if you do something really good, people will find it. it and, and the internet then can really take off with it because it'll go viral. Then people are going to say, wait, I want more of this. Like, I think just, you know, if, if you have a talent for one area or another and you think you can really give your, you know, a certain audience something, you know, dig into that and do the best you can and like, try to really impress those people and make them like say, Oh my God, I got to send this to people. Then I think things happen from there. I think everything else happens from there. The internet, you don't have to do much marketing and eat much clever strat. The internet will find you and your audience will find you and they will spread it to other people in the audience. Totally. And I think, I think one, one of the things you said that's super interesting is like it, I, people do have a sense of like, there's too much stuff. There's too many newsletters. There's too, it's just crowded. Like it's too late. Like, sure. You know, may, maybe if I had started five years ago or 10 years ago or whatever, it would have been a good time. But like now, uh, forget about it. Like it's, everyone's doing it. Well, I mean, but, but, but you're saying no, like a lot of the stuff that's out there is like a B or a C or it's an A for something that's some niche topic. That's not at all what you're writing about. And like, yeah, yeah like I, I'm curious, I'm cu 
if you feel like if you're the kind of person that feels like it's too late, what are you fundamentally missing? Well, I think there's two things. I mean, I think the harder way to do something that catches attention is to do something that is really similar to what's out there, but better. That's a, that can work. Um, it's like there's if you do something that people like, not love, but like, and it's similar to what's already out there. You have to get lucky. You have to have someone, you know, with a huge platform promote you or something. Um, you're you, that's not a good plan, I think. Um, it's like it's like putting out, you know, a pop album that is sounds very similar to other pop albums that are out there, and it's and it's pretty good. It's like that's not what catches on. If you put out a pop album that sounds a lot like the current sound, but it's really great. Okay, now you 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 could really catch on because it's something people love, not like. And people don't have that much of what they love, and you might find it. You might find it, but there's like it's like a diffusion thing where there's not going to be this. There's not this hole in people's uh, world there that like like it's like a, it's not like a vacuum. And if there's a vacuum, air rushes in to fill the vacuum. So it's right. not like you're not putting something into a vacuum where things rush in. You're putting something into an existing thing, and it's like slower. It's like there's like you know, the diffusion is less is less pressure. So things will come over to that thing, gravitate towards it because it, it is better than what's out there, but it's, it's still going to take a while and it, and it might, it, it, it might take a long time to catch on or it might not, you know, it might not get noticed as, as quickly as you want or, or, or at all. Like, so you have, if something is really good enough, the better, of course, the better it is, the more gravity it has towards it from people. Right. But if you can put something out there, that's really good, that really doesn't exist, not, no, no, no one's doing something totally new. Everyone's influenced by stuff, but something that's really just kind of different than stuff that's out there. And it's great. The people who happen to love what you do, for first of all, they probably don't know they love it because it's not a current genre. So they, they, they will realize they love it. And there's nothing else really doing it. And so there's this vacuum. And it's like there'll just be like a massive rush towards you. Everyone will be forwarding it to each other. right? So obviously that's not easy to do. Where do you find a vacuum? That's kind of your initial question. But my point with the vacuum is that it doesn't have to be like an entirely new thing. It can just be like a new a, a, a new take on an old thing like that's, i mean i think wait but why is an example of that it's not blogging isn't new drawing stick figures isn't new writing long thorough articles isn't new which on the new yorker all the time and other things um none of this is new in its own but the combo of you know thorough articles but they're light and they they're not you know that's serious and then they have these drawings and they get into all different kinds of topics and whatever it is like it's um it's an it's enough of a unique combo that that is not like if why why disappears tomorrow people can be like oh well there's a bunch of those kinds of sites well not not exactly like that right it's a, it is its own thing and i think that goes for if you look at all the big kind of blogs big um uh you know youtube channels it's 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 that if they disappeared it's not really it's not really just part of a genre it's it's unique enough that you can't just so there there's a vacuum that they kind of uh found um that uh, even if, you know, obviously if you can start something like you create the iPhone when there's only flip phones, you've now found like a giant void vacuum right. and it's something everyone loves. Obviously you're going to change the whole world. You're going to become a billionaire. That's not easy to do. Right. Um, you know, and, and the same way the Beatles, like when they started innovating, they really went to somewhere that there was just no one and they did something great. And of course that's why they're the Beatles. So if, if you can do that, good for you. You know, that's very exciting. Um, but like, you know, Malcolm Gladwell, when he wrote his first book, it was pretty much, um, it wasn't, you know, the first of that kind, but it was, it was really a different thing. And so it was a, a vac, a pretty sizable vacuum and, and, and he became Malcolm Gladwell. Now there's all kinds of copycats who jump in and do the same thing. Cause that vacuum still has room to grow, you know, totally. for Created a while, a genre. Like, 
Yeah, and when you do that, the vacuum gets is continuing to move, and there's a lot of opportunity for other people to jump in. But I think the best way would be to think about um, it, the vacuum goes on a spectrum. Again, you're not going to find a total vacuum unless you're this rare, you know, world changer. Um, I think you need to look for more vacuumy area to 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 think about what you do. And the truth is, I think if you you if you do what you do best. And you really don't copy others that much. You're influenced, but you really just try to do your own way and you're not worrying about the fact that it's not already out there. You're probably going to find it's probably going to end up in a space that's a little vacuuming because it's going to be unique. Um, and if it's also really good, you're all set. It's going to be great. And so I think the key is, you know, have influences, but really pay attention to your own taste when you would say, I wish that the things I liked had this, you know, were whatever. For me, I wish articles were more thorough. And I wish that they had more drawings because I like that. So pay attention to that because probably yeah. a lot of other people wish that too. And you've actually found a vacuum without realizing it. Totally. So look for yeah. the vacuums. I know we're running look out of time. For more vacuumy space. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been great. I'm a fan. So um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I thanks for having me on. I think what you guys are doing is exciting, and I think you guys are kind of also, I think, creating a product in a fairly vacuumy space it's pretty new in general and i think i think what you guys are doing is not um is not really being done so good luck with your own vacuum project well thank you we're we're trying yeah. to be vacuumy <laughs> all right awesome. um yeah we're oh by the way before we end where can people find you on the internet yeah just waitbutwhy.com. and i always tell people that the best way to keep up is just uh email list that's that's like you know then you don't have to keep checking the blog and you'll just know when something new is out there you go all right well tim urban Thank you. Thank you. All right. That was episode one of the Substack podcast. What'd you think? Let us know. We'd love your feedback. Um, if you liked it, one really great way to let us know would be to share it. This is a new podcast, so we could really use the help getting the word out. Um, and that'll let us know we should keep doing it. So thank you so much for listening and see you next week. 